Bibles, Romans chapter 4. I think the kids already got out, right? Yeah, I saw Kim gathering them up. But uh, Bibles, you want to turn to Romans chapter 4. If you grab the Bible on the way in, it's page 939. And if otherwise, you can find it yourself, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And we'll also have the verses up here so you'll be able to follow along. But the title for today is By Faith Alone in Christ Alone. Uh, Romans chapter 4, we're going to do the whole chapter, whole chapter, I'll talk about that in just a minute, but first I just want to show a baptism clip because it's going to connect the dots to what we're doing this morning, so. So, uh, first, um, I want to mention that this is a historic Sunday because I'm going to preach to an entire chapter in one sermon. (laughs) You might miss lunch, but I'm going to do it. All possible because this entire chapter is all about one thing, faith. That's the whole point of this whole chapter, over and over again, faith, faith, faith. Now, we've been going through Romans, and we saw that through Romans 1 through 3, we're all lost. Jesus died to pay for our sin and and to save us, but we must put our faith in him. And now now here in Romans 4, the Holy Spirit stresses that salvation is by faith, and it's always been by faith. A lot of confusion there. It's always been by faith, and there's some real keys to faith for each one of us. Father, we just thank you for the baptism. We thank you for the worship. We thank you for each person that you've brought here today. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit would use your word now and speak to us through your word. And if anybody has never put their faith in you, that today would be that day and that we would all learn to walk by our faith and live by that faith on a daily basis. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to read the chapter. Not too long, but then we're going to revisit it all. Well, I guess I'll use the, the monitor so I get the right version. All right. So what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? In, if, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also that he is then also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Was it not through the law that Here we go. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. 
For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things, calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham and hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old... Uh, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what had been promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us. To whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Wow. It's always been faith. It's always been faith. And we have Abraham's example here. Faith. Christianity, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Christianity, true biblical Christianity, is the only religion where salvation is free. It's the only one. Although we know it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Thank you. It's not a religion, but it's a relationship. But every other religion out there, it's by works. You have to work your way into heaven somehow. You have to follow rules and do certain things and jump through hoops. And uh, but, but the problem with that is there's no assurance. First of all, it doesn't work. And second of all, there's no assurance. But Paul makes it clear here that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. Faith alone in Christ alone. And it's always been faith. And this must have shocked his Jewish readers. Many of them, not all, but many of them were confused. They thought that they started to miss the whole point and started to follow the law for their salvation and get circumcised for their salvation. And there's a lot of people who think they're Christians out there that are confused too, right? We see lots of churches, they teach like a works salvation and and it's you know you got to jump through hoops and take certain you know well i'm not gonna start naming names but anyway yeah you, you get the point <clears throat> you get the point but the proof of what he's saying that's always been faith and 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 abraham is an example the proof he starts off in verse uh chapter four verse one where he says what then shall we say that abraham our forefather according to the flesh discovered in this matter If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. What does the scripture say? God's word. Now, we've been talking about that as we go through Romans. God's word is inspired. It's inerrant. That's the scripture. It's actually the word of God. And, And... What does Paul go right to? The scripture. He quotes scripture. We're going to see this. He's quoting Genesis here in just a minute. But but that's the key is when when you are witnessing to someone, 
Use scripture. Use God's word. Whenever possible, use God's word. If you're debating somebody, use God's word. Let the Holy Spirit do the convicting and the convincing. Use God's word. And what do the scriptures say? Verse 3, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's what it says. And this is quoted right from Genesis 15, 6. In Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited him as righteousness. That's what Paul is quoting. The word believe, the word believe is the same word that we use for faith. It's interchangeable. When you see the word believe or you see faith in in the scriptures, in the New Testament, they're all interchangeable. They're all from the same word. To believe is pistuo, to um, to the word for faith is pistis, and then the adjective is pistos. They're all the same root. They're all the same word. You, know, you can look them all up there. They're you know, really commonly used. But the, the, the bottom line, whether it's the, the um, verb or the noun or the adjective, it all means the same thing. It means to totally trust. Total trust. For salvation... We totally trust in what Jesus did for us. But if we trust anything else, even one little thing, then it's no longer faith. It has to be total trust. That's what it means. And uh, we, and Abraham's total trust in God made him righteous. Made him righteous. Abraham was a man of faith. Isn't that interesting? All, all throughout this chapter and all through Romans, we're going to see Abraham, man of faith, man of faith. Isn't it encouraging that God calls him a man of faith? Abraham, who had a lying problem, disowned his wife twice. <laughs> see, I'm not married to this beautiful woman. <laughs> twice. He, Abraham, we read about his amazing faith with, you know, having a child, but he laughed at God's promise. Laughed, and so did Sarah. They both laughed. But they're still called, he's still called a man of faith. He laughed at God. He said, God, you must be joking. And then to make matters worse, he and Sarah got tired of waiting for God to fulfill his promise. So they came up with plan B to help God out. Here, Abraham, take this young thing here and you can have a baby with her. He took on a mistress and had a child through her. Which was supposed to help God out. You think you're too big of a mess? You think that you've messed up too much? To come to God? Abe's a great example, isn't he? A great encouragement. It's never too late to believe in Jesus. It's never too late to start living by faith. It's never too late to put your faith in Christ. It's never late too late to start living by faith, no matter what mistakes we've made. I know none of us have made mistakes like Abraham, but you might know someone like that. So Paul says we are, we are only righteous before God through faith. And then he stresses, in fact, it's always been faith. 
Always, from the start. Not circumcision. In verse 9, he says this. He, he says, is, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. So we see that it's not about circumcision. Now remember, many, Paul stresses this because many Jews started believing that circumcision saved them. They thought, well, I'm Jewish and I got circumcised, I'm good with God. Just like many Christians today think infant baptism saves them. Right? I hope it's clear now, after being with me any any amount of time, it's clear now that if, uh, that, if you, that baptism doesn't save us. And infinite baptism is not even in the Bible anyway. I hope that's all clear now, okay? But, but if you've never been baptized biblically, as I showed the video, it's not too late. There's still room in the river for you, all right? Uh, there might be too much room if the river stays up. But anyway, uh, but it, it's not, it's, circumcision didn't save and infant baptism doesn't save. Look when, look when Abraham was Circumcised. It was after he believed. When are we baptized? After we believe. It's, it's, it follows. It's never before. So anyway, but uh, verse 11 says this. He says this. I'm going to read it again. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe. Circumcision is an outward sign, was an outward sign of an inward faith. And Abraham was declared righteous after circumcision. You know how much, I'm sorry, he was declared before he was circumcised. 14 years before Abraham was circumcised. He was declared righteous. He didn't get circumcised until 14 years later. That's a big... God put a lot of distance between that, right? Because he's making the point, what's done on the outside can't save us. It can't save us. Circumcision can't save the Jew. And baptism can't save the Christian. It can't save us. As a baby or an adult, baptism doesn't save us. That so many are confused. They think, well, I'm... Sprinkle this baby, I'm saved. Or I get baptized, I'm going to go to heaven as an adult. It doesn't. No, it only shows what happened on the inside. Baptism is an outward picture of something that has happened inside. That's why the Bible says, believe and be baptized. It's always after. Uh, And so it's really important that we understand that what happens on the outside doesn't save us. It's not, it's, so it's okay to be circumcised. It's okay to be baptized, but it doesn't, as long as we aren't depending on that for salvation. And so many people fall, even as Christians, we fall into legalism. We start to think, we follow these man-made rules to, to, uh, to some people to, for salvation, but others for sanctification to try to get right with God and be closer to God and do, you know, God will be pleased with us. And we see, we start to go into legalism and we, we follow these man-made rules. And so many people, I know nobody here, but so many people think we're righteous if we follow rules and we think God's pleased with us. We follow these man-made rules, but it, it, it's important that, and this can get very extreme. 
Very extreme. You think of the Word of Faith movement, the outward tests of faith in the Word of Faith movement. We've talked about that a lot. But also, uh, <clears throat> there's some pretty extreme examples. <clears throat> Have you ever heard of the snake handlers, the snake handling Christians? i got to read a couple of things here. This is pretty wild. Uh, snake handlers risk death to demonstrate their faith. Have you ever seen the show? Have you ever seen these documentaries? It's pretty crazy, right? Uh, let's see. Coal miner Joe Short's tenderly took up the rattlesnake others picked up this is a uh we don't do this in pennsylvania but anyway this is a west virginia not picking up west virginia paul i'm not picking up west virginia but uh, uh others they pick up the snakes timber rattlers mostly they stomp and shout and whirl to this electric guitar music see todd we're missing out here all right anyway uh they they it reached <laughs> work on it I'll supply the snakes. Uh, they reached such a wild pitch that it seemed as if the tiny frame of the church would fall apart. Um, another whipped a deadly white, put a snake around his neck as a scarf. They're all singing. This is the the church of the Lord Jesus in West Virginia. Anyway, the cornerstone of their faith is found in Mark sixteen eighteen. They shall take up serpents, and it, they shall drink any deadly thing, and it shall not hurt them. Taking up snakes is seen by the believers as proof of one's faith. Proof of faith. Some believe that only those anointed by God should attempt snake handling. Others believe that these acts are necessary for salvation. This is what they teach. Uh, Dewey Chafin, a member of, says he's been bitten more than 100 times. The scars on his gnarled hands attest to his difficulties. Believers generally refuse medical treatment when they are bitten. Instead, members of the congregation pray over them. (laughs) Their prayers are not always answered. Uh, A Tennessee preacher was bitten by a rattler during one of their services, and he died there. So uh, they go on and on and on. But this is is what... It's crazy, right? But it's no different than what the legalists do trying to get us to follow man-made rules, things they've invented. It's no different, right? Uh, There's another one here, uh, walking on fire. This is wild. Uh, In 1250, the church of St. Constantine in the Thracian village of Kosti caught fire. The icons were groaning inside the fire. So uh, some of the villagers dashed in to rescue them, and miraculously they emerged unharmed. Because they wanted to save the, the icons groaning. All right. Every year now, they have honored them with a fire dance in Greece here. The fire, which covers an area of 12 feet square, is lit early in the morning while those who are to dance prepare themselves. For several hours, they contemplate the icons in rapt concentration as they meditate on the ancient music of the drum and lyre is played. At length, when the fire is glowing cherry red, a dancer rises to his feet, enters the flames, and begins to dance. Another follows him, then another, each carrying reproductions of the sacred pictures. For half an hour, they dance, treading on the logs and embers until the flames are finally extinguished. The temperature of the coals was measured at 500 to 850 degrees Fahrenheit. I would expect it third degree burns, said the doctor who investigated this, but I only, but only found a few of the fire dancers were harmed, suffering blistered feet. A young American who joined in the fire dance, uh, however, was hospitalized with third degree burns. <laughs> Americans have no faith, right? No faith. Right? It's crazy, right? Now I have my theories of how they're pulling this off, and I'm not sure it's God. But anyway, we won't go there. But anyway, uh, but, but, 
It sounds crazy, right? What if I said you got to dance on fire, you got to carry snakes around? But that's what the legalism is all about. Trying to do things that we're, that humans are making up and saying you have to do this if you want to be saved or if you want to show you really have faith. And that's what legalism, that's what the outward stuff is all about. It's just, it's just crazy, right? Uh, it's not outward. It's not circumcision. And Paul says it's not the law either. It's not outward. It's not circumcision. It's not the law either. Look what he says in verse 13. He says this. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath and where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is not saying that if you never heard God's word that you, uh, you, you're okay with doing whatever. It's not saying that. What he's saying is you aren't, you can only transgress if you have the law, but a lie is still a lie no matter what. It's still a sin in God's sight whether or not you've read the Ten Commandments. It's still sin, so you still have the sin, but you don't have the transgression. Transgression, that's a whole theological thing. But anyway, I uh, <clears throat> didn't want any confusion on that. But, but Paul is saying here it's not outward circumcision and it's not outward works. Not outward works. The Jews thought, they got confused over time. They thought if they kept the law and sacrificed the lamb, everything was okay. But they missed the whole point. They missed the whole point. The faith behind the sacrifice. It wasn't the sacrifice. It was the faith behind the sacrifice. The lamb was symbolic of the ultimate lamb of God, who we know who that is, who we must put our faith in. So whenever they brought that lamb, they were putting, they were supposed to put their faith in what God was going to forgive them because of that sacrifice, looking forward to Jesus Christ, okay? So, but salvation, they missed the point. So, but salvation has always been through faith, not circumcision, not the law. And then Paul goes on to explain Abraham's example. And he says in verse 16, Abraham's example proves this. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who have the law, but to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are, that are not as though they were. Abraham's faith saved him. And the results, verse 17, the God who gives life to the dead. We're talking about resurrection, the promise to all who believe in Jesus Christ. We may die physically, but we don't die spiritually. We, the promise to all, if we are a Christian, we know there's going to be a resurrection. They're going to be for everybody, unfortunately. But, but, but for all who, but the promise is to all who believe, if we are a Christian, if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, and you haven't yet, I hope you do today, but if there's no fear of death. There's no fear of hell. We don't have to fear it. We don't have to fear anything in this life or the life to come because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. And that goes for being sick. We, we get sick and, and lots of bad things happen. My dad had a heart attack. But, but we, we don't have to fear. Either Jesus is going to heal us or he's going to resurrect us. It's a win-win. If he heals us here, well, well, we're stuck here a little bit longer, right? All right? But, but it's still good. There's good things we gotta still do. But if we, if he 
brings us home to heal us in heaven, we live forever with him. It, it's a it's a win-win. But that's the promise that we have, that he gives life to the dead. Whether he heals us or whether he resurrects us, we, we're going to have a whole new life. The resurrection promises for everyone who believes, who puts their faith, who totally depends on Jesus Christ. For everyone. In fact, 2 Timothy 1.10 talks about this, where it says, <clears throat> but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What was, what was a, a foggy concept in the Old Testament? Eternal life's all over the Old Testament. But it wasn't, Jesus made it crystal clear. He, he focused it, that blurry lens, he focused it in. We can see exactly what it means now and how we can get that. And that's what Jesus did. And we can take hold of this promise by faith. Just like Abraham did, we can hold on by faith. And because it's for us too. Look at verse 23. The words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Powerful, powerful. It was written for us who believe in Jesus Christ. Believe what? He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. What we believe is that Jesus died for our sins. He was delivered over to death for our sins. He died for our sins and his resurrection was for our justification. Both are very, very important. A lot of times we don't realize that. First of all, we put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross. He died for our sins there. That That's very, very important. We all got that pretty well. I'll come to that in a minute. In fact, remember Romans 3.25? In Romans 3.25, when we did... God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. And remember, we become at one with God. Remember, at one minute, if you were here for that one, you know, we really dug into the, the, the doctrine on that. But Jesus died on the cross. He paid for our sin. We're putting our faith in what he has done for us. But back to verse 425, uh, 425, where it says, he was delivered over to death for our sins. We got that, put our faith in him. He died on the cross and was raised to life for our justification. This is very, very important too. Jesus, <clears throat> his resurrection is just as important as his death. There Two sides of the same coin. You can't separate them. And and his resurrection is what justified us. If Jesus had stayed in the grave, there would be no proof that his death did any good. If I say, oh, I'm going to die for all of you. By dying, you're all going to go to heaven. And then I die. And that's the end of me. Well, what's your confidence? Yeah, but what? But if someone says, I'm going to come back alive, Jesus said that, I'm coming back alive to prove it, then we have confidence that his death actually worked because he proved he was the Son of God by his resurrection. And that's, what, that's why it's so important that Jesus had to be resurrected. If Jesus had stayed in the grave, there'd be no proof that his death did us any good. And now <clears throat> that he's alive, we can put our faith in him. We can be justified him, be justified by him because we know he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's defending us. He's, uh, he's, you know, he, putting our faith in someone who's dead does us no good. It has to be somebody who's alive, and that's why the, the resurrection resulted in our justification too. Let's say, uh, <clears throat> let's say I'm arrested, 
let's say you're arrested and you, you're charged with something bad and you need a lawyer and you say, well, I'm going to get Daniel Webster. I want the best. There's never been a better lawyer than Daniel Webster. You know, history, the top. He even took on the devil, right? So Daniel Webster, I don't think that's true. But anyway, uh, but he's a famous, famous best lawyer in the history of our country, right? I want him to, I, I, want, I want Daniel Webster. Would that do me any good? No, because he's dead. He's dead. He's not here. We need a live guy, you know? A, a, a live bad lawyer is better than a dead good one, right? So, yeah, I need a live. So we need, <laughs> we need Jesus who's alive to plead our case. And that's why we are justified, because he rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ resulted in him rising from the dead, pleading our case, paying for our sins on the cross, and coming alive. We need the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where we get our justification from. But the whole thing is faith in Jesus Christ is the key. That is the key for our life here, for our eternal life. We are saved, and we live by Faith. Faith in, we're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. We live by faith alone in Christ alone. We are saved by faith. Just like Abraham, we are forgiven and justified by faith, which we were already stressing. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. We're forgiven and justified just as if I never sinned. I know we've been over this many times. Just as if I never sinned by putting our faith, our total dependence in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing we can do. No baptism is going to help us, whether it's infant or adult baptism. It's not going to save us. It's coming after. Uh, no sacrament can help us. There's, there's nothing wrong with those things. They're all okay, but they can't save us. And if we think that they're saving us or making us right before God in some way, that's, that's no. Only faith in what Jesus Christ has done saves us. Remember I talked about all the world religions and every other cult and everything out there. They all have, if you want to be saved, there's something you have to do. D-O. But for Christians, we spell it differently. We spell it D-O-N-E. Done. It's done. We know there's nothing we can do. We can only depend on what Jesus Christ has done for us. We put our trust in him. And then as Christians, we live by that faith. And we're connecting the dots here. We live by that faith. There's, and because we're living by that faith, there's no fear in life or death. If we're really living by faith, there's no... I'm not saying we don't get stressed. I'm not saying we don't get hit hard. I'm not saying we don't grieve. Don't, not saying there aren't, there's gonna be some very difficult times. We start, get a little bit anxious, gotta work through it. But, but we don't, there's no, if we're living by faith, there's no f- real fear. We wake up in the morning and we pray through it to faith. Get up the next day, it's still there, pray through it to faith. We have to keep doing that because there, we, we don't have to fear anything in life or death. Philippians 1.21, Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's on my tombstone. Yep, already got a tombstone. And it says Philippians 121 on it. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I think we should all put that on our gravestones, right? Because that that's that's what we can that's how we can think. Yeah, you know, if I'm here, I gotta live for Jesus. But if I die, I'm with Jesus. 
right? And we can, we can all have that power and peace no matter what we're facing. I know a lot of you are going through a lot because I heard about 10 people on the way in telling me. We're going through a lot, right? But we can have power and peace no matter what we are facing. John 16, 33, one of my favorites. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Two guarantees. You're going to have trouble. Anybody not having trouble? I want to come move in with you, all right? But, uh, yeah, you're going to have, we're going to have trouble. And some of it's going to be really bad. But the second promise is we can have peace in the midst of that trouble. We can have peace no matter what we're facing. Remember when I was in California doing my internship way back in college many years ago, uh, 40 years ago now. And I remember um, I went... uh, there are a lot of things that these delinquents, I worked with the delinquents and all that. And uh, we we did rock climbing. And I had never been rock climbing before, and I haven't gone since. But uh, we did this rock climbing, and and I'll, it, was, it was pretty scary. Because you need to trust. The, the, the rock climbing expert would go up before us, and he'd get higher. And we had to trust that that rope that he had was going to hold us and that he would hold us, hang on to us. Right? It was scary. And he's pulling us up. i got to trust the rope, trust the person. Sound familiar to anybody here? Uh, and then, then also we needed to listen to directions from above. Because what looked like a good step to us Hey, I'm going to put my foot here, grab this rock. He's, uh-uh, no, no, go the other way. Well, I didn't want to go the other way, but he could see a lot better up there, right? He could see the whole way up. So we had to listen to him. Even if the other, my way seemed better, we still, he had the view from above and we had to listen to him. Any connecting any dots here spiritually? All right, and, and then <clears throat> also, Sometimes there was nowhere to go. You had to let go of the, all the rocks, and you had to hang there. And then he would tell you where to go to the next, you know, move over on the, the edge of the rock. And we had to trust enough to let go and hang. Hang there when working on another hold. When it seems like our life is on hold... Will we trust the one who's holding us? When it seems like our life is on hold, will we trust the one who is holding us? Living by faith. Are we living by faith? Galatians 2.20, I hope you have it memorized by now. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. Living by faith. Do you, are, are, we, are we trusting the guy with the rope? Do we have that power and peace? It's scary. It's upsetting. But do we have that power and peace? Can everybody see that? Not that we're perfect, but can they see how God is working in our life through faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here or listening and you're not a Christian yet. You've never put your full trust in Jesus Christ. You're not totally depending on him for salvation. But maybe as we're, you're hearing, as we're hearing the word today, maybe you are finally at the end of your rope. 
and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. To let go and to trust God. It's scary. Letting go and trusting God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And just before I go to prayer, I'm going to show you another little video clip here. Uh, don't start it yet. Just hold on for a second. Uh, so this video clip is my dad. Major heart attack. Barely survives. I know he's going to need five bypass, quintuple bypass. And this is what he said. My brother recorded it for us. Okay, now you can show it. His last, what he thought might be his last words to us. I want to see all in heaven. His focus wasn't, oh man, what's going on? He wasn't freaking out. You know, he's concerned. But his whole focus was, he wanted to see us in heaven. Do you have that peace and that perspective? Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? Have you ever put your total trust in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead to justify you just as if you never sinned? If you've never done that, I pray that you do it right now. Because we are all a heartbeat away from eternity. One breath away from eternity. Right where you're sitting, right wherever you are, driving your car, listening, wherever you are, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ right now. The simple but powerful prayer of faith. God, I believe Jesus died for my sin on that cross. I don't want the sin anymore. I repent of that. I want Jesus. Please forgive me because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. His death on that cross for me. To pay for my sin. With his own blood. I want his resurrection power. I want to be justified. I want a new life. 
through Jesus' resurrection. I give my life to you, God. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, I want to encourage you to tell somebody today. If you're here, tell a family member, friend, tell me on the way out, tell somebody. If you're out there somewhere, tell your Christian friend, whoever's been praying for you, your grandmother, your mom, you know, whoever. Tell the person at work, let somebody know so that we could be excited for you and help you grow in your new faith. Because something amazing has happened to you. You have been justified. You're a brand new person in Jesus Christ. For those of us who are Christians already, how is the Holy Spirit convicting us and speaking to us and moving in our hearts? Are we living by our faith? Salvation's awesome, but we're saved so we can live by that faith. So we can live out a life of sanctification. How is our faith wavered? Will we say, God, I'm going to let go. I'm going to let go and trust you. I'm going to let go of these rocks and just hang on to the rope, my faith in Jesus. Father, I pray that you would build up our faith, each one of us, because we slip, we fall, we mess up, we sin, we... We struggle, we get hit with the truck of doubt and fear and anxiety, sickness, death. I pray that each person here would know the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and the peace that comes with it. I pray in Jesus' name.